time for our second hour roundtable on America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. More talking truth about America. And welcome back. I'm just so happy you've tuned in. I love these fastest two, hour of my, two hours of my week every single week doing this show, America Can We Talk. And so it's first Sunday of the month. I have my Millennial Roundtable joining me tonight. I have Jeremy Wolf. He's a recent MBA SMU graduate and about to start the working world. Um, and, uh, and Drew Wicker, who is, are you going to be a senior in the fall? Yes, ma'am. You are a senior. Yeah. Okay. And so he's a senior and he's president of young Republicans at SMU and they both been on the show before. So I always, at the top of the second hour, I want to do my right view round table question of the week. And I actually really, this could be a long, this could be a whole hour discussion, but to start with this Facebook recently announced, recently announced is taking action is doing against fake news. And it's going to auto-flag articles that they call fake and auto-post links containing competing viewpoints. So you'd try to go to an article on Facebook and say, well, we're flagging this. We're not sure it's true. How about you know, looking over here? So, you know, and there's lots of power in Facebook. I mean, lots. And in and Google, you know, that's basically how all of us start out looking for information. You, you Google a question. So Steve Bannon, uh, who is a, a top advisor to President Trump, floated the idea of having the federal government regulate Facebook and Google as public utilities because of the proliferation of fake news and because those two entities have such a stranglehold on news dissemination in America. Okay, and of all bizarre, you know, strange bedfellow stories, so Bannon floats this, and amazingly, there was a tweet from Minnesota's Keith Ellison the one you know, radical left Democrat, Muslim in Congress, who said, he said something like, shockingly, I found something I agree with in Steve Bannon. He agreed that it should be, they should be regulated, Facebook and Google, as utilities. And even some left-wing salon website commentator wrote a piece about the same thing. So what do you think? Are they so powerful they should be regu- regulated like a utility? Who wants to go first? Sure. Um, you know, I am skeptical of it, of giving that power to the government. Um, one of the litmus tests, I think that that's good common sense for any anything that you're considering um, would be would you be comfortable with somebody that you disagreed with vehemently wielding, you know, wielding that power? Um, and, and so, you know, would I have been comfortable with President Obama um, having his administration go in and, and regulate social media websites? Absolutely not. And so I, I do have some degree of skepticism and maybe that's just kind of a cynical outlook of the, you know, the slippery slope and the precedent that it sets for the federal government to start regulating, uh, you know, free speech and, and the internet, um, you know, net neutrality has been kind of a big thing that, uh, you know, Senator Cruz commonly calls that the Obamacare for the internet. It's <laughs> uh, a great line. Yeah. But, uh, but, it, but I, I do have a, a fair degree of skepticism, although I, I mean, I understand that, you know, it's, it's very clear when Facebook hires their fact checkers as Snopes and politic politifact, that right. are clearly left leaning, um, you know. So it, it surely is a problem, and everyone's on Facebook. It's it, it's a network good, so you, you know we're we're not going to get on another site because nobody else is on it. So so it, it, I understand the problem, uh, but I'm skeptical of the solution being a, a federal government one. Yeah, I mean to that point, Jeremy nailed it. I think it sets a horrible precedent because whenever a group or a company achieves a natural monopoly, which is legal. We shouldn't just come in and regulate it. I think it sets a horrible precedent. I understand that there's a lot of fake news and a lot of that's being disseminated through sites like Google and Facebook. But that doesn't mean that there's a niche there for the government to get itself involved. 
at the end of the day, I think it's going to be irrelevant in five years. And then you're going to have to deal with a bigger issue of precedent at that point, because I think that Google and Facebook, they're the thing right now. But, you know, we were saying that about Microsoft 10 years before that. And there there have been so many companies that everybody is saying, oh, they're going to take over the world. Well, somebody finds a superior product, it's developed, and then those things go to the wayside. So you're going to have another company like this in five, ten years that's going to pop up. And then what are you going to do then? Are you just going to keep on playing whack-a-mole with these companies? You know, it's interesting you both had that reaction. Because I have to say, you know, I know and our listeners all know that term Pravda, P-R-A-V-D-A, was back when Russia was communist. They had one newspaper, Pravda. And, and so that's where the people in Russia got their news. So, of course, the government controlled it. So the government could put out all sorts of lies about how everybody's happy and healthy and everything's going great. And, and you know, people could look at that and say, that's not really true in my world. But they, they didn't have a way to get information. I think is especially challenging that... The way we use Google, when we want to look up anything, and someone says, hey, have you ever heard of, you know, so-and-so? You know, if you haven't and you're by your computer, you'll put it in Google. And so if this person, for example, was an activist like Ayan Hirsi Ali speaking up about radical Islam, you would find what Facebook would tell you was that she's a radical Islamophobe, a hater, a liar. I mean, you find these horrible things. I'm talking with you, Google. So you'd get that result and you'd have to know to dig to find the real answer. And the same on Facebook. They are very left-leaning, and so they're controlling their content. And And Facebook, I mean, it's a, it's a behemoth. It is internationally a behemoth. I mean, I'm on it all the time, checking out my sweet cousins in Minnesota to see what they're doing, you know, high school friends. Plus, I'm looking at political things, my political website. So I'm on Facebook a lot and get information from it. It is not my source of research, to be clear, listeners, but I do go there and find things. But having said all that, you know, I think it's very powerful, but the last thing I would ever want to do is agree the government could fix that problem. If you think you get fake news, uh, you know, twisted because Facebook is editing itself, imagine if it was Loretta Lynch deciding what was fake news. We're going to have to zip off the break. We're going to talk about this more when we get back because this is a huge issue. So don't go away. Be right back. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. 
and they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Welcome back. You know what? We were talking on the break. We talked politics, whether on or off air. We were talking about this Facebook story. And uh, I really, I think it's an important, it's not just an interesting little, you know, diverting story from the news. It really has to do a lot with the seriousness of controlling our culture, our politics, our society. You know, I mentioned Pravda, which was, you know, when the Soviet Union was, Less, more evil than it is now, and they controlled the media. They had one newspaper, Pravda, and everyone thought they got news from it. But the point of it is, you know, when you talk about Facebook and Google, their combined power, you know, it's not like they're the only ones that produce, you know, shoes or some other product. They are producing information or or directing access to information. It's a, it's a major, major power they have. And so, you know, if you are, and I mentioned Ayan Hirsi because I have so much respect for her, and she's a, a Muslim woman who grew up in Ethiopia and suffered in all sorts of ways at the hands of Islam, and she's trying to wake America up about what 
the dangers of Islam and how women are treated. And you can find many websites, if you put her name in, just, you know, trashing her and saying she's an Islamophobe and she's ignorant and she's mean and she's evil, blah, blah. And she's wonderful. So I don't want to ever give the government power to control Google or Facebook or, or, or other sources. But I do think there needs to be a lot of pushback by responsible people Online, on Facebook. You were just talking about uh, on the break, you got to speak up when someone puts something on Facebook that a link that, what was that headline you said? they uh, That Ruth Bader Ginsburg had died. <laughs> okay. So what is the answer then? I mean, that that's fake news and Facebook, you know, Facebook could have tagged it. But I mean, the free market's got to battle that, right? Yeah, absolutely. The free market, the free market works if you let it. And these companies doing what they're doing with the information and displaying fake news, how they're doing at the moment, it, who knows? Somebody may produce a different new service that is very similar to Facebook, but does a better job at communicating to them the news. And that may be a competitive advantage that somebody could use to take out Facebook. But it's also a problem of people just not doing their due diligence. You need to go and look at multiple sources i don't like going to cnn or msnbc or all these others or new york times but i do because i want to get a holistic perspective i'll read the wall street journal i'll watch fox news but at the end of the day that's not the whole story i want a larger perspective and people have to have that mindset going in especially whenever talking about the news yeah the i mean the underlying thing whether it's whether it's facebook or google specifically is is just the 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 concept of free speech and the dissemination of information um, and so I, you know, I would adamantly oppose the government, you know, stepping into that. Um, but, but yeah, I think that that us just at a grassroots level, kind of saying, you know, this is this is fake, this is not real, is important. I, I, you know, I dedicate a lot of my social or my Twitter timeline goes to, you know, pointing out the the inconsistencies and inaccuracies and false reporting um, because it's important and, and it's effective too. Because if you look at the reputation of the media, they've they've got a single um, single digit approval rating. <laughs> So I, I mean they they well earned you know it's absolutely and and, and so you know it, it has been effective um, you know you know us as individuals in, in that free market um, just speaking up on our own and, and I think that that's more more powerful than anything than that that the federal government could could do. I agree with that and also you know that especially um, a lot of women are raised to be polite and you don't correct people you don't you don't so I used to just I see someone post something and I knew. Couldn't be true, but I don't want to embarrass them. I do now either send them a message or post. This is fake news, but it's policing ourselves. And but I'm going to tell you the other danger about fake news, and whether it's in the hands of the fa- of Facebook deciding that and designating something fake news, or worse, the government. So a climatologist who is you know well educated and posts a paper in which he he or she says you know um, after my 20 years of research, man caused catastrophic climate change is a hoax. This is not a problem. This is a this is a political movement by the Ameri- by the left in the world to redistribute wealth. This is a it's a farce. It's not true. Now, to many left wingers, that is fake news. And maybe if you have the I mean I'm giving examples to say if you let the government decide. And you had Obama, like you were saying earlier, Jeremy, if the, if the government is not the party of your choosing and they're the ones deciding, that's where it gets really dangerous. It's really dangerous. And, and a related point then was, I was saying, tell them two in the break, is, you know, CNN, my favorite network to malign, um, but they have, since Trump won office, I mean, literally, and these aren't, I'm not saying literally, I am speaking, you know, generally speaking, they have run I mean, hours and hours and days and days and weeks and weeks and months and months of stories on and on and on about the Trump-Russia, you know, 
allegation. They have they'll find experts from every you know, every planet coming in to talk about oh well yeah now if it happened they they run it all day long with the impression they're leaving. In the American public's view, if you actually thought you were listening to news and you listen to CNN, is that there was something to this story, that it was true. And so it's a whole other way. Fake news is generated. Even when maybe nothing specific they said was a lie, the, the political effort behind it is to, tr- is to tube Trump. Yeah. It, you know, to that point, it's really interesting to also think about, just forget the fact that we're conservatives. I've heard this from liberals as well. Do you really want to give something like that over uh, do you want to give that control over to the government because think about it just this way you can keep a private corporation accountable you can say this is fake news and you can you can garner support and garner momentum behind that and you can force change because at the end of the day they have to respond to the market whereas if the government has control of that look at how great of a job we're doing right now keeping the government accountable <laughs> actually it did make me wonder why did Keith Ellison think this was such a good job? I mean, we talk about a creepy character. I mean, he's a radical leftist. He's from Minnesota. I'm, I'm, I, I love Minnesota. Okay, my, I'm, my parents grew up there. I love Minnesota. I love the people. I don't know why they vote for people like Keith Ellison. But anyway, there he is. He's, is he, I, I even lost track. Is he a senator or con- whatever he is? He is a representative. Congressman, yeah, okay. Anyway, so you know, he's a, a far leftist, and yet he was right on board with Bannon, you know, who is a conservative. So you're thinking, if any, if Keith also liked it, then never mind, I don't. I, I just think it's really important to to never agree to censoring or, um, and that's what will result in really is censoring. If everything a conservative put out was fake news, you're being censored. Yeah, and, and I mean, you know, as conservatives, our, our loyalty is to principle above party, above above people. And, and so, you know, we have to be vigilant that we apply that consistently. And it can be tempting when you have that government power to say, you know, there's this issue of of left leaning fake news and censorship on on sites like Google and Facebook, to to want to wield that power to to achieve a you know a, a conservative goal. Um, but but like I said, you know that litmus test of saying you wouldn't want somebody you disagree with to have that power, then it's probably not a good idea. And so, it, the responsible thing may not necessarily be the easy thing, and that that is a dilemma that conservatism faces quite a bit. And I think that. I think that's certainly the case here, where if we are going to be consistent about our conservatism, that it's 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 you know being free speech and keeping the the, the federal government out of out of the situation. That's a great point. I'm going to pile on that and say something. So there was this. This actually happened several months ago, and I didn't end up running with this story. But I'm going to share it now. So Facebook actually spearheaded a 14 million dollar consortium to counter fake news. I will say, you know, trying to just be fair to Facebook because you know uh, they are run by left wing thinkers, but you know they they have some sense of obligation, and they were criticized heavily during the campaign for permitting crazy fake stories to run. I mean, crazy fake stories. And so they're trying to do the citizen, the responsible corporate citizen thing. So they put together a consortium of groups, uh, including uh, Facebook, Mozilla, and the Craigslist founder came together. And essentially they came together and said, you know, we're going to try to counter fake news. And they're not uh, they're not censoring. They're not saying we we're you know we're shutting down this group or this person. But we're trying to step up and, and battle this. And to give credit to them, you know, they tried to come up with something that was not censoring, but it still was the responsible citizen. Like there was a story that ran that something about Irish. I can't remember. I can't remember what the story was, but essentially, uh, you know. 
tons of Irish people came to America as slaves or some crazy story. It was running around uh, St. Patrick's Day. And and Facebook said, oh, wait a minute, okay, this is crazy. And so they had they started this thing, they auto pop up, you know, the site you're going to, the story you're about to read. It was a really good thing. I mean, and you, so you kind of want them to do that for the crazy stuff that is is just completely facetious. So anyway, may, let, let, to give them the benefit of the doubt, Facebook is trying to do something responsible, and I'll take their fake news uh, monitoring over the government. Anything else on that? Well, they had um, they had tried to, I think. Um, offer some political bias training for their employees. They kind of basically just admitted we're very left-leaning. I mean, we're a Silicon Valley company. Um, and, and so they offered that to kind of, uh, it, it might just be a hollow shell of a PR type of thing, where now that they <laughs> offer the training and, it, and it's optional, it just kind of provides them cover now to to go further down this left-leaning hole. Um, but they did offer that, and I, and I don't know if there's been any effectiveness or, or whatnot, but they did put that training program in place. Also, just to be a just to be a little bit fair and a little bit double uh, double edged on this, you got to also keep in mind Facebook is not a news organization in name. It's a it's a social media company and it's an information company. It's an advertising company. So you know they I think that they are making an effort. Granted, yes, they are very biased. Amen to that. All right, okay. This guy Greg and here our board operator who is wonderful. And I want to thank him. Is going to start playing music while we're still talking. But it's time to roll here. We come back. I want to talk about Trump's new immigration bill and the CNN going nuts. Come right back. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony list, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. 
They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility, when politicians propose solutions, to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. And hey there, thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Debbie Georgettis, America Can We Talk, and I have my Right View Millennial Roundtable. Um, and we have Jeremy Wolf here tonight and Drew Wicker. Okay, so we're talking about something that actually is amazing because right here in this great city of Dallas, we have Southern Methodist University, which is a beautiful, beautiful campus. And they actually made national news this past week. Um, and probably the attention they weren't looking for. And I will say, I, I think SMU, um, you know, it, I, I've done a few things there. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a uh, campus that has a wide range of speakers. They have a lot of different groups there. They're pretty tolerant, a lot of different viewpoints. But something happened this past week, or I guess it is it last week now. So we're into 10 days or so. Um, where the, um, a, and to see why this is relevant, this is relevant no matter if you're listening to this show in Peoria, Illinois, or Columbus, Georgia, wherever you are, it's a national story from the perspective of what is a, what's the right answer in free speech rights on college campuses and the apparent restriction or seeming restriction to a student group. So the short story was Young America's Foundation. Um, which is a national organization, and they have groups and um, campuses all over the country. They did a display on a prominent area at SMU. Like if you ever go online and look at, uh, just look up SMU, Southern Methodist University, the building you will see is called Dallas Hall. That's the kind of iconic, that's what Dallas, you know, what people think of at SMU. There's a big green lawn in front of it called Dallas, which is referred to as Dallas Hall Lawn. So, Drew Wicker, happened, he's here tonight. He was formerly involved in the Leadership Young America's Foundation, still very involved with the group, also President Young Republicans. So why don't you tell us what happened there? So essentially what's happened is the university has gone against longstanding policy and has decided that they will be revoking uh, our privilege to be, well, 
our, our privilege or our right, depending on who you talk to, to have displays on Dallas Hall lawn. And the logic behind it in, in what was written into the policy was that this is an effort to make sure that students are uh, – the SMU has the right to protect students from being triggered, harmed, or harassed by any sort of display by any sort of organization. So they have relocated all future displays of any kind for any student organization to a section of campus in which there is virtually no foot traffic. And we also think it's very uh, concerning that it's being moved away from the geographic, uh, not the geographic center of SMU, but from the heart of SMU. I think that's a very important distinction. Okay, so the SMU Young Americans Foundation, I happen to have seen many times online, they put up a picture of this display. They just put up around September 11th a memorial with a little flag, a short little flag in the ground for every person lost on September 11th. That happened to be the request of the university for their for this permission for this year's display that brought this response. And so it's a really interesting thing because uh, – as I was first hearing about it, and it's made the news actually nationally and, and um, been on the, the local news here in Texas, too. I was thinking about a Supreme. I remember from law school, I, don't, I had the case in front of me at home, but I didn't bring it. So I don't remember the name. But the Supreme Court has more than once made the point that free speech includes the assumption that you you can and you can make your speech in a time and place with only reasonable restrictions. So the cases that normally come up involve cities where they get a protest permit. Someone has to come, I want where you have a protest march, you have to get a permit from the city, and the city cannot say, for example, you have to have your protest march over there uh, by the city dump from midnight to 2 a.m., they can't put restrictions on it that make it impossible for anyone to see or hear your protest. There are restrictions the other way too that you um, you, know, you can't you get a parade license to you know block traffic or um, impede people's you know ability to function. But this issue at SMU and I, I mentioned those just as a kind of background concepts in First Amendment thinking. But they, there's no litigation here with SMU. But it's a really interesting challenge because SMU. Uh, made this announcement, and they're basically saying not just Young America's Foundation, but every organization that wants to have a big display has to move away from this this area where I think you were saying pretty much everyone walks by Dallas Hall Lawn once or more a day. It's very central to your activity to an area where nobody really ever walks, maybe freshmen on the way to the dorms. So, so what is the status of the uh, ongoing discussion with SMU? So we're actually going to be meeting with them tomorrow. And by we, I, I mean a bipartisan coalition that's been formed uh, to oppose this new policy. This this coalition is actually formed of Young Americans for Freedom, College Republicans, College Democrats, Turning Point USA, Feminist Equality Movement, and Mustangs for Life. And we together have been pushing this uh, pushing against this policy. And we've also broadened the number of organizations and student leaders who have been backing us. And while these are the six core organizations that are pushing this, it's it's been a broader effort. And so we saw recently uh, Governor Abbott responded and sent a letter to President Turner requesting that the policy be revoked and 9-11 display be able to be held there. Um, President Turner responded, uh, and we've responded in kind to try and clarify some of the things that we felt were not adequately addressed. And so we are now in a process of we're going to be meeting with the SMU administration tomorrow, and we're hoping to have a good, productive meeting. Um, but at the end of the day, we're looking for the full repeal of this policy. 
Well, I'm I, honestly I'm as confused as anything because what what about having this display that's been on campus annually for for however long you know that they've been doing that um, it is particularly tr- you know triggering or harmful. It's not a specifically partisan really you know memorial or or activity or anything like that. It's it, it certainly is one that brings up a lot of emotion to it. But but you know I guess Drew, I, my question would be what 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 drove this what i mean what is what's so triggering (laughs) well that that's a great question but to me i think that it regardless of whatever is quote triggering students i think that it's a broader question of do we really does it really matter that much if if we're staying within the bounds of the first amendment if we're staying respectful within the uh the bounds that the supreme court has given students and uh protesters and whoever else that chooses to to exercise those rights, um, I th- I think that it doesn't really matter whatever triggered who whomever. Um, but one of the things that I'd actually like to ask, and it's great because Jeremy's an SMU student, so for one thing, well, I, he's, he's it was, was, was MBA, yes, yep. yes, absolutely. <laughs> it, Jeremy, I, I have a question. You've you've been to SMU. You've obviously seen Dallas Hall lawn. Would you uh, two questions really? Uh, would you describe that as the heart of campus? And two. If if you had any sort of display, and keep in mind, uh, the only patch of grass that is utilized for any sort of display is the small piece of grass immediately in front of Dallas Hall lawn. Would you say that that would be an obstruction to any other group or classes or students walking around and hanging out? <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's, it's a pretty expansive space, so I, it would absolutely not be obstructed. It, it certainly is a runaround of a response from the university, which is... Like I said, is why it it drew more questions than answers because I just don't understand the the, the partisan take to it. I don't either on this triggering thing though, because that's the thing I I um, thought about several times this week about the nine eleven thing. I did see within actually several months of the original of the actual attack of nine eleven, I saw people in the media and and it was widely reported on were encouraging the networks to stop running. The tapes that some people had managed to capture, I guess, on their cell phones or security cameras, capture the planes flying into the building on 9-11. And shortly after that, there were numerous media outlets saying that, you know, if you keep reminding people of this, it could encourage Islamic hatred. It could it could be too jarring. It could be uh, damaging to our, our ability as a country to come together and unite because it's, you know, it we, reminds people to blame somebody else for this and maybe be upset with uh, people who are Muslim. And so most of the media stopped running those tapes, just stopped running them. And I did wonder, you were asking, Jeremy, about who would be triggered. I suppose people could have that argument that, you know, this is particularly triggering to uh, someone who is a Muslim and says, you know, look, I, I didn't do 9-11, I had nothing to do with it, and I don't want to be blamed for it. You know, it's actually interesting because we did have some people that— texted or emailed Grant or I directly about that they were, quote, offended or that they felt other groups would be offended by this. And I think that one that we just hit on it right there is the fact that I don't think that there's actually that many people who are genuinely offended by this. I think that there's a lot of people that are offended for other people, which doesn't make sense. You're You're going out of your way to say, well, real quick, I'm not offended. And I think you're right. But, you know, this other group may feel offended by this, and that's the reason that we shouldn't do this. And, you know, for one thing, you're depriving the right of free speech from somebody else because you're using your right to free speech. But you're also, in effect, speaking for another group that is not being spoken for. We have 
Muslim and Islamic groups that have said, we support your right to this memorial and we support what you guys are trying to do with this policy on campus. That is amazing. Are you talking about SMU groups who are Islamic groups or some of We have not heard back from the SMU groups, but we have had Facebook groups of Muslims, uh, whether individuals or as groups that have come out in support for what we're trying to accomplish. That's kind of mind blowing because that was, that was my answer to Jeremy's question a second ago. Is I would assume probably some Muslim groups would say that. But you know, the other thing we're going to have to go off to break again here. But the other thing about this is the whole notion of someone being offended has no place in First Amendment assessment. No place at all. The idea is not, there's no limit on First Amendment speech because someone else might find it offensive. And if there were, no one could ever talk. Last break, don't go away. On August 2nd, 2006, Debbie Lee was notified that her son, Mark Allen Lee, had been killed becoming the first Navy SEAL to lose his life in Iraq. She had no choice about the news that was given to her, but she did have a choice how she responded. In response to her son's amazing last letter, she founded America's Mighty Warriors to honor the sacrifices of our troops, the fallen, and their families by providing programs that improve quality of life, resiliency, and recovery. Whether America's Mighty Warriors is hosting retreats for families of the fallen, helping heroes heal who are struggling with traumatic brain injury or post-traumatic stress disorder, providing relaxation at the Heroes Hope Home, stepping in when an injustice is committed, or doing random acts of kindness. As Mark mentioned in his letter, they know the price of freedom and who pays it. Our troops and families of the fallen need your support. Visit americasmightywarriors.org today to learn more. That's americasmightywarriors.org. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. 
Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. And welcome back for our last segment. I say quite often this is the fastest two hours of my week. Love, love, love doing this show. Love talking with you about America. And you know, the entire purpose of the show is always to defend the unique greatness of America and do everything we can to hold on to all the pieces, all the elements that make America exceptional and great. I want to take a moment before we launch off our last discussion to thank the sponsor for this show, which is GC Works. I just... Could not do the show without them. GC Works is a Dallas-based company that performs research in advanced technology and delivers innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. They make the show possible. I am very, very grateful. I also want to encourage our listeners. Um, we have a great, really cool, great YouTube channel, America Can We Talk. If you just go into YouTube and put in America Can We Talk, um, I think you have to put Debbie George Jazz, whatever it is. It's easy to find. It's in our weekly email. It is a very cool, uh, and you can go back to all of our old interviews, my first fives, um, just all sorts of great stuff. And um, and actually all of our Right View Roundtable top of the hour question. Uh, it's just a, a great YouTube channel, so I encourage you to go to that. Um, and also our Facebook page. We're, do, we're doing the show on Facebook Live, so hi to our Facebook Live listeners, um, watchers. And also just um, want to encourage you to follow me on Twitter at Debbie Can We Talk. Uh, my, you know, if this, If everything was great in America and Ronald Reagan of today was president and people were, you know, that I wouldn't be talking to you, but I'm doing this because I love this precious country. And I think we really escaped. We dodged a bullet in not having Hillary Clinton be elected. We have a long way to go to get America back on track and, and re-embracing the founding greatness of America. Okay. That's my speech for this week. Now, turning back to this, our show tonight, you know, we were, um, Actually, this was a good combination of the stories we were talking about. Um, there was a, an exchange this week in the White House, in the briefing room, um, where the uh, president has and Congress has introduced a, a uh, reform, an immigration reform bill. And it is called RAISE. It's just like the word RAISE. I love how they always find good acronyms. acronyms. But this one is Reforming American Immigration for a Strong Economy Act. It's a great, okay, RAISE Act. So it changes immigration policy and standards. And so CNN's Jim Acosta, um, who I'm unclear went to journalism school or not, but anyway, he was at this White House briefing, and he really, really took on this bill in, the, with, in this White House press conference. This is clip one, if we have it, Greg. 
Yes. Uh, what you're proposing, or what the president is proposing here, does not sound like it's in keeping with American tradition when it comes to immigration. The Statue of Liberty says, "Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free." Doesn't say anything about speaking English or being able to uh, compute, uh, be a computer programmer. Uh, aren't you trying to change what it means to be an immigrant coming into this country if, if you're telling them? Uh, you have to speak English. Uh, can't people learn how to speak English when they get here? We're bringing a Jim. press one for English philosophy here to Jim. immigration, and that's never for been Jim. what the United States has been about, Steve. That I mean, you're, but you're also, your, your statement's also shockingly ahistorical in another respect, too, which is if you look at the history of immigration, it's actually ebbed and flowed. We've had periods of very large waves, followed by periods of less immigration and more immigration, mm-hmm. and during the... You've had a period of immigration right now. The yeah, president wants to build a wall. Actually, you want to it's actually about a sweeping change to the Surely, Jim, you don't actually think that a wall affects green card policy. You couldn't possibly believe that, do you? Actually, the notion that you actually think immigration is at a historic wall, the foreign-born population in the United States today, the Jim, Jim, talk, talking about how border crossings Do you really? I, I want to be serious, Jim. Do you really at CNN not know the difference <laughs> between green card policy and illegal immigration? Okay, I had to pick segments, and I, you know, I will tell you, this, I do actually encourage you, I guess you have to use Google, Google this, or go to YouTube and find this interaction if you didn't watch it, because Jim Acosta of CNN spent the better part of the closing, uh, the press conference was nearly over, and he had his question, but he was not going to let the White House press spokesperson, um, whose name is eluding me at the moment, uh, talk. He was not going to let him talk. Every time he tried to say, you know, well, let me explain what the Raise Act says. Let me explain what our priorities or our thinking is. This Jim Acosta was badgering, condescending, rude, abrasive, accusatory. And this is American media. This is what I'm talking about, about Trump not getting to do his agenda. CNN and other media outlets, they are outraged that this guy is actually doing the agenda he told the American people he would do and that got him elected. It was the most badgering. And honestly, I would say the White House spokesperson, did you find the name, somebody? Uh, Stephen Miller. Stephen Miller. That's right. I knew that. Actually, he was really good. I don't know why. I mean, who's going to finally get that job permanently? But um, he was really good. And um, he just very calmly pointed. The CNN guy was blathering about, well, what about the wall? What about the what? And, and, you know, he didn't have any sense what he was talking about. But really, the deeper point besides how foolish he looked and how really what a great job the White House guy did in, in responding to him was they think they're entitled to set policy. The media can just badger a president or his spokesman instead of being there to ask questions, how will it work, how will it, what will cause you to make this change. The, the badgering is it's just breathtaking. Yeah, I mean, he's, he, he played the part of a Democrat politician on a debate stage. I mean, that's not journalism. That's fundamentally not I don't know when this you – know, the, the, the media in general has always been very left-leaning, um, but – but now, especially, it's just come out so much where it's it's punditry and activism. It's not it's not reporting. Like you said, there's no they're genuinely trying to get information as to what the White House is doing and relaying that information for us. That's the purpose of the media. And, and they're you know clearly by that clip that you just played with Acosta, and he's had some other moments as well. <laughs> but there are, you know some people on on Twitter talking about he might as well be a conservative plant for how much he just unifies the right because they're. Are people that may disagree with this act and and or anything the White House does, but you know instead of criticizing them, just see how absurd and and ignorant, honestly, Jim Acosta was in that exchange and adversarial he's trying to be and, and partisan and, and come to Trump's defense. And, and so it, it 
it's it's having such a reverse effect, and I don't think they get that. I don't think they do either. I saw there was some commentary. Someone had, uh, mm, someone on Fox had said, you know, they were playing it with the headline, just saying, just look, watch Jim Acosta get humiliated. And CNN was livid, but he wasn't humiliated. He was right. I mean, they really are. It's just a um, a loss of the idea. And there's one thing about aggressive journalism. If someone's standing up and, and saying something, you know, that you don't, that is false and, you know, and, and you know, investigative journalists look into things, dig in. They don't have to take it face value. But this is the White House press conference where he's supposed to be, and, and he took up all this time so no one else could talk, and this guy's going on and on and on and on and on, and he really just made himself hey, look extremely foolish. He was, this act relates to, this raise act, uh, relate does not relate to the wall. It relates to who gets green cards. And basically the, the, the notion that they're trying to establish in this bill is to counter or undo some of what happened in America's immigration system since 1965 when there was a 1965 immigration bill that um, was just changed everything about immigration. And I'm going to tell my immigration story here first. I don't know where your families came from, but my husband's grandfather came here from Greece. And he didn't speak English. He was a stowaway on a freighter, okay? He really wanted to come here. You know, he was 19 or something. He got to America, and, you know, then he made his way, got his legal, however he got legal. And then he went to California, but A, he never taught his own children Greek. And this is a Greek guy. He married somebody in California, had children, did not teach them Greek, told them you have to speak English, and he came here to work. He came here because the island he came from in Greece, he was like the 11th kid or whatever it was in the family. He was never going to inherit anything. There was no, there were no jobs there. He came to work. And so that was really the spirit of America's immigration for most of our history. What happened in 1965 in Ted Kennedy law, Ted Kennedy sponsored uh, law, was that everything got turned on its head about immigration priorities. It, it, it gave preference to um, chain immigration, bringing your family with you. It, it just changed everything about the priorities. And so most of what this RAISE Act is doing is going back to decades and really centuries of what America used to have. It's an amazing thing. Really. Yeah, I mean, just to go back to that point with Acosta, I think that one of the things that's being lost is this idea that it's the job of the news to report the facts and not push your own ideology and your own beliefs on everybody. If he had asked a question about the Rays Act, we wouldn't be having this conversation, but it was unfortunate that he chose to push for his own ideology and his own beliefs and have an argument rather than report the facts, which is what he's supposed to do. But, you know, in terms of the Raise Act, I think it's great because I think that we're working towards a system that works better for our nation. And I think that that's so important because we've gotten away from the fundamentals. And I think that fixing the immigration policy will go a long way to fixing this nation in the long run. I think that we really have a problem of assimilation, which you touched on with your immigration story. It's great that he taught his children English and not Greek. Right now, we have so we have such an influx of people right now that they don't even speak English. We have to get those people to buy into American values and American beliefs before we start letting in the masses of people that we once were. We need to bring in the people right now that can add value, that can create jobs, that can generate uh, economic growth. Yeah, the... Uh... I, I, I do favor the the merit based, um, so I I do like this. Um, it even outside of just the jobs market, obviously having people who are more skilled and for American companies is is good for our economy. But 
oftentimes this, the the more skills based system is going to get people who are more likely to assimilate to American values because they went out and they they got the, those skills and they they understand and truly appreciate the opportunities that America affords them. And so some of the, a lot of the times legal immigrants are some of the most pro American citizens that are out there, and and going on a merit based policy means that they're coming here for a specific reason rather than based on this family ties where then, as Conservative Review pointed out, that it has this chain effect of bringing more people over who may or may not really truly want to be in America or care for our values and ideals. They're coming for their family ties. And so the the merit-based system, I think, is a very good idea. You know, I, I'm glad you're making all those points, and we are about out of time here, but this RAISE Act will be discussed, and we're going to have a longer segment on it um, on an upcoming show. But one last thing about Acosta I want to point out is what you hear in him is this assumption that everybody is entitled to come here because we're America, because we have a poem at the bottom of the Statue of Liberty about the huddled <laughs> masses. So everyone's entitled to come here. And it doesn't really matter if they what, what the reason is or if they have any skills or if they know English. None of that matters. And, and it has really been this is a result not just of Obama, though he was particularly guilty of it, but the left wing mentality where we have lost again. It's the perfect well, melding into my closing. The, we've lost the idea of the beauty, the greatness, uniqueness of the American identity. So we think immigration is anything goes, and it can't. It's reasserting the, the beauty and greatness of America. I'm Debbie Georgias. America Can We Talk. Love talking to you. Come back. Thank you for listening to America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. To learn more or to contact Debbie, go to AmericaCanWeTalk.org. America Can We Talk. Truth About America. America.